1: Many people hunger for success but struggle to balance what they pursue on the outside with what they need on the inside. According to today's guest, Dr. Hitendra Wadwa, we can learn how to have our outer success reflect our inner core. He joins us today to discuss how our five core energies can create outer impact from a place of inner mastery. Dr. Wadwa is a professor at Columbia Business School and founder of the Mentora Institute and Mentora Foundation. He is the author of the book, Inner mastery, outer impact: how your five core energies hold the key to success. Welcome, Dr. Wadworth. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me, John. Pleasure to be here with you and your listeners.
1: Doctor, many people strive for success. We we all want to be liked, we want to be loved and respected. And we believe that the way we're seen on the outside often determines how we see ourselves. Why do we do this? Why do we look to the outside for internal validation?
2: I think it's important to realize that so much of um, this comes from our cultural roots. We are uh, almost messaged in this way from a very early stage in our life to look for that outer validation. And that, while it's true in a very dominant way in our Western ethic, uh, it's not necessarily true in all cultures all the time. Um, and so I have the blessing of having immigrated to America at the age of 21, uh, having embraced and adopted this land as as my country, as my culture. And at the same time, having always had my roots you know, come from where I grew up, which was in India, and, um, therefore, having seen uh, these, uh, dueling kind of, you know, views of life as coming from the East and, uh, and now from the West, uh, I have had the opportunity to be able to, uh, recognize that there are actually, you know, two pathways, you know, to how to think about yourself and your sense of self-worth. One is from within and the other is from without. Um, and it's not in any way wrong to have a, outer kind of measure to uh, who you are and how you show up and what your sense of worth and engagement is with the world because we do owe our responsibility you know, to society around us that we are a worthy citizen in some ways, and that we are doing work that is valued you know, in the world. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, the, the opportunity is there for us to pause, to look within, and to recognize that there is something so beautiful so pure, so unconditionally, already whole from the inside, that once we start to access that, which is what I found the wisdom from the East, you know, having, having brought to me, once we start to access that, we can actually start doing our best outer work.
1: Yeah, I agree, because, you know, everything on the outside, all the things that we talk about out there, they're fleeting, they don't last. And if our If the view of ourselves, the way we value ourselves and see ourselves, if it's so dependent on what we have or what other people see, things that can be taken away at any time, that's when we find ourselves in trouble, I think. Would you agree with that?
2: That's a beautiful way of uh, thinking about it. I often tell my students at uh, Columbia Business School who are very ambitious, you know, they're, they're there at school because they're Seeking to set the foundations for uh, a career-long pursuit of, you know, outer success. That uh, you know, just look at the 2008 mortgage meltdown crisis, where some of these, you know, titans of Wall Street suddenly had their foundations shaken, and people who were geniuses in school were suddenly displaced because Lehman brothers just crashed. You know, um, we often do not control uh, the outer shifts and changes that are happening uh, in the world in our communities, in our organizations, in our societies, and and at times even, painfully so, in our families. Uh, At the same time, we can control how we show up from the inside, what we cultivate and activate as a spirit from the inside. And when we do that, then we have the opportunity to, in every moment in life, show up very centered from the inside, very anchored from the inside, and yet very agile from the outside. You know, so so for some people, that's a a little bit of a a cop-out because they feel like, yeah, but, you know, on the outside, I want to have clear direction, clear purpose, clear goals, and I, I don't want to give them up just because things are changing around me on the outside. And I like to help them see how, you know, when we are having ambition and pursuing goals on the outside, we are doing that for a reason. We are doing that to express our true self, to really do our best to pursue a certain purpose-driven or values-based path because we see those goals as the outer expressions of our values. And if you see it that way, then one, one way to kind of blend these two is from the inside, always be anchored in your values, in your purpose. But then from the outside, seek to express them in new ways, in fresh ways, in ways that adapt to the ever-changing conditions around you.
1: One of the biggest lessons I learned from doing this work, I'm in a, a unique situation because I get to meet all kinds of people. And I have met people over the years who would have every right or reason to fall apart in life. People who were born without arms and legs and became quadriplegics and had some of the, the biggest challenges you can imagine, um, children that were killed, and yet they are living a joy-filled, purposeful life because of that inner strength. And and that was just one of the biggest things that impacted me so much, is that we have that ability that no matter what we go through to, to master this inner strength and and you know, as you say, to show up in the world in a different way. And these people have gone on to inspire millions around the world with their story and their teachings.
2: You're so right. You're so right. And in fact, uh, John, let me take what you're saying and up it one notch, right? Which is that, um, you know, like you have been blessed to meet some of these people. Um, I have had many stories like this being shared with me by uh, executives and students uh, in my classes and executive programs because I I draw that out. I ask uh, every participant in my program to share a personal journey. And sometimes it's about themselves and sometimes it's about a very inspiring member of the family and I'll give you one example you know there was Dr. Anna Pavlik you know, she was in my executive MBA program and she mentioned how at a very young age she was very drawn to the idea that she was going to fight cancer you know she was literally in um, you know in school when she just had this keen draw towards wanting to ultimately be a cancer doctor an oncologist um, and along the way she has had um, her boyfriend, when she was in college, uh, succumbed to cancer and, and, and died. Uh, and then later she gets married, um, dates somebody and gets married. And then after 20 years of a beautiful marriage, he gets cancer and he dies. Uh, so, you know, talking about tragedy and loss and suffering in life, I mean, she's, you know, uh, exhibit number one you know, in, in that. Uh, and at the same time. What has happened is that through this suffering and this loss, it's brought a lot more humanity to her own journey as an oncologist. She did end up studying medicine and becoming a cancer doctor. And not just has she, um, through her research, contributed to improving the odds of survival for people, for example, with stage four melanoma from like 5% to 65%, which is one of the things that she is credited for. But in addition, she says these beautiful things about how she has developed so much empathy and the capacity to connect with her patients and their families in a way that wouldn't have been possible without her personal experience. She says, it's given me the ability to talk to patients' families. They understand that I get it, that this is not a job. This is very personal to me. This is why I am there for people from the time they walk into my office and say, here you go, take care of me. You know, I'll be there either until the day that they are cured and become part of my extended family or until they pass away. And if they do pass, I will ensure that they pass away with dignity, knowing that they were loved and cared for. You know, uh, what I read into that story is that sometimes pain and suffering and loss that comes to us can be our greatest catalyst for change, for growth, for wisdom, for insight that allows us to bring a special gift into the world.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, because that is how I got started doing this work. All of this, the brand creation, the show, everything I do, came from a period of six months in my life where my mother and sister died, my 23 year marriage ended, and my son left for college. So it was like I had this life one day, and the next day it was gone. And so Mm -hmm. from that Mm -hmm. pain, and from that darkness, everything that I am doing, it was born and it has grown from that. So I absolutely understand what you're saying. And and actually, I see it quite often in a lot of the people I meet.
2: Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, you know, I mean, that is such a powerful thing that you've shared about your own journey, I'm grateful that, uh, A, it has led you to this work, uh, and B, that you're sharing this now, you know, with us and with me. Um, I sometimes feel that every moment in life is like a conversation, the universe is having with us. You know, the universe doesn't have a voice where suddenly the clouds will part and you know, the light will shine and it will speak like in a human human voice, but it, it speaks to us through every experience that it gives us. And, and sometimes what it's trying to say is that, John or Hitenbra, you have no idea how much strength, how much grace, how much love, how much joy you have it in you. I want to wake you up to that. You know, I want to wake you up to that.
1: And we all do in, in different degrees. We all have a similar story. Mine might be a little bit more dramatic. Someone else's may be even more dramatic than mine. But we all have these change moments in our life where we have to make a choice of, of which direction we're going to take.
2: Correct. Correct. And sometimes they come from moments of you know, like shock, pain, suffering, loss. Uh, sometimes they can be, in some ways, almost the opposite. You know, you are cruising through life, and I found in some cases with some people, there is a stirring, you know, that happens within, a certain moment of deep inspiration, and then it sort of fades away because we get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of our daily routine. And so I, I like to encourage people to look within, check with their inner experiences, not just their outer experiences, you know, those moments where stirrings and inklings come to us, and pay attention to them, honor them, because sometimes in those lies the seed of your true purpose. Um, in my case, I had a stirring like that, very, very uh, beautiful, um, you know, hunger that got unleashed when I was a teenager to want to really deepen, in a sense, my spiritual explorations, and I, only marginally responded to it you know for the most part i was continuing to get caught up in the swirl of ambition on the outside and i was i was almost twice that age you know i was i was 17 at that time and it was when i was 34 <laughs> that i finally At some point, woke up to the realization that, Kitendra, you've been operating under the assumption that you can get all the richness and beauty and joy that you want from your outer pursuits. But you remember? You remember that inkling that came to you when you were 17 and you really wanted to go on a deeper inner journey as well? Well, it's time for you to pay attention to that and respond to that and do something about it. So, yeah, so I've also noticed that, you know, in some cases, paying attention to moments of inspiration and Pools that we experience from within can be a way to awaken to a deeper purpose in life.
1: Doctor, will you take us through your five core energies that you write about?
2: Sure, sure. Thank you. I have evolved these over the course of my 15 years of teaching um, a class called Personal Leadership and Success at Columbia. And what I was seeking to do there is help us recognize that we are not just in this world playing an outer game but we're also playing an inner game. And when I say inner, I don't just mean the distinction between our professional life on the outside and the personal life that we lead on the inside. Because even in our families and in our circle of friends and community, sometimes basically what we're playing is the outer game. The inner game is our thoughts, our feelings, our intentions, our motivations, our values, our beliefs. Um, And so these five core energies are a way to help understand and organize and approach the mastery over your inner game. And the first of these energies is, is purpose. And purpose is about having clarity about why you do the things you do. Uh, for every conversation, for every relationship, for every project you take on, a next stage in your career that you're working on, um, what is the deeper why behind it? the purpose behind it and then what you seek to do is re-express that purpose in the form of the right markers or milestones or goals on the outside from time to time yes i want to achieve this goal and that goal in my personal life or my professional life but it's always in service of a deeper purpose that i believe in and i want to pursue so that's the purpose energy um the second is wisdom wisdom is about Seeking the truth in all situations. Sometimes truth comes knocking on our door and we refuse to listen to it. Uh, it comes in the form of a you know, subtle change of the facial expression of the person in front of us that reveals to us that this person actually may not be enjoying what is it that you've just shared or may not be agreeing with it, but we ignore it and we just keep you know, talking um, and ha- don't really respect the fact that maybe I should pause and inquire and check in How are you doing? How are you feeling about this conversation? So wisdom is about seeking the subtle, nuanced truth in all situations and making sure that our emotions and our thoughts are always directed in service of the higher purpose that we are pursuing. Because, you know, emotions can be beautiful things as long as we are using them in service of something noble and uplifting. Uh, And so that's the wisdom energy. Um, The third is growth. And growth is about recognizing that, you know, I'm always a work in progress. There's always a part of me that uh, is still waiting for me to awaken to a higher potential within me. And therefore, I am not going to be limited by some confining view of my personality or my character or the way I have approached situations in the past, my habits and impulses. I am more than that. And I can keep over time, re so to say, my brain. So that's the growth energy. Uh, the fourth is, is love. So, so love is about, as Rumi, one of these uh, very beautiful um, Sufi poets uh, whose work is very popular in, in America amongst poetry lovers, you know, he once said, he said, love is the bridge between you and everything. And so, so love is recognition that there is no such thing as a self-made woman or a self-made man. You know, we all ultimately, in some ways, intricately connected with the web of relationships and, you know, just our our connection with nature. There is a certain interdependency. And therefore, life is inviting us um, when we fall in love, when we have a child. You know, our heart expands to the point where their joy becomes our joy and their success becomes our success. But the same can be then expanded further to allow us to feel that, with our colleagues at work and with others in our community and the people of other nations and the future generations. The idea that uh, you take joy in their joy and you find success in their success and that is love. And then the fifth and final is what I call self-realization. Uh, self-realization is about recognizing that beyond our physical selves and beyond our thoughts and our feelings from them lies a space of pure spirit within us, pure consciousness within us. And that is our true home. And there are pathways through which we can access it. Taking walks in nature, spending uh, time in rich solitude, like in journaling or in mindfulness or meditation uh, or deep prayer. Um, I have found that, um, you know, people who have access to these kinds of practices on a regular basis in their life, have a deeper, more subtler appreciation of this, you know, just, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a undercurrent of peace and tranquility and joy that just exists within them. And that is self realization, recognition that everything that you're looking for from the outside, in some ways, is already available to you on the inside.
1: So, Dr. Fur, someone who's listening to you right now and wants to begin on this journey, is there one area that's more important than another? Is it something they should be working on simultaneously? Or if you just tap into one of these energies, do the others tend to fall into place?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. And I certainly do not uh, believe that there is one singular path here. Uh, and at the same time, there are you know, right and wrong ways to do it. Uh, so think of this. In the following way, think of a mountaintop and um, at the very top of that mountain at the peak lies your full attunement with your inner core. You know, think of your inner core as the space of the highest potential within you uh, from where, When you operate you know, from that place, you are beyond insecurities and, um, you know, attachments and ego. You're deeply committed to a noble cause. You're very connected with people around you, curious and open to growth, very centered, you know, from, you know, a very, very beautiful, joyful place within and and calm and receptive to truth. And that's your inner core. And you can experience it on the inside and then express it in everything you do on the outside. And and to get there, you know, there are different pathways. And each of us in some ways is like a truth seeker, you know, seeking to walk our path up to that mountain top. And, and some of us might be more purpose-driven and some might be more wisdom-driven and some might be more love-driven and, and, and beyond. And, and, and that is perfectly, perfectly appropriate for you to pick an energy and a way of engaging with your inner and outer lives that most naturally comes to you, that you're most drawn to. Uh, and then in my book, I explain five stages through which each of us can advance on any of these energies. So there are five stages for purpose. Five for love, five for wisdom, and beyond. Um, and so, I would encourage us to start by asking ourselves which of these five, am I most, which of these five energies, am I most drawn to? Um, and then, for that energy, seek to check in on where you are today and what is the first next step you can take to, let's say, to build wisdom, to gain more mastery over your emotions to gain more awareness over your thoughts, and then learn to re-script the ones that are holding you back from your full potential. Then move from thoughts to a much deeper construct, which is your beliefs. Uh, And then from beliefs to perhaps an even deeper construct, which is your capacity to approach moments with a drive towards high performance, but also a non-attachment to the outcome and beyond. And what I was just sharing was examples of those five stages, you know, acquiring, acquiring wisdom. And so um, one way to figure out sort of which of these you want to take is to ask yourself, what's your greatest hunger right now? You know, it may be that there is a certain pain that you are seeking to transcend, overcome, or a certain hunger you have for a more beautiful life, for a more inspiring life that you want, or, or more success. In your, in your professional life or in a relationship. So start by something that is really pulling you right now. And then ask yourself, okay, which of these energies do I feel may help me most in advancing that cause? And then use that as a way to uh, start that journey up the mountaintop to the very core of your being.
1: The book is Inner Mastery, Outer Impact, how your five core energies hold the key to success. Doctor, where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work?
2: Thank you, Uh, hitendra.com. So that's my first name, H-I-T-E-N-D-R-A, hitendra.com. And um, I have a few articles there. I have an opportunity if um, folks are interested to sign up on a newsletter. There's also more information on the book.
1: Doctor, thank you so much for joining us. It has really been a pleasure having you on the show.
2: Thank you, John. Thank you for the work you do at a very critical hour in, you know, the history of our, you know, beloved planet to really invest in these stories and these inner pursuits that can get us to sustain happiness. And I'm grateful for this time here with your listeners. I wish you and all your listeners all the best in your journey in life and at work towards fulfillment, lifelong fulfillment.
1: This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again,
3: that's bestpathforme.com.
1: An invitation to appear on a radio show or podcast provides you with the opportunity to showcase your knowledge while promoting yourself, your products, and your business. It can elevate you as an expert, boosting your reputation, but only if you make a good impression. If you want to stand out as a great guest who is remembered, celebrated, and gets invited back, you need to give the host and listeners what they want while communicating with confidence and charisma. Contrary to the old adage, not all publicity is good publicity. Some can cause more harm than good. Hi, this is Joan Herman. As a public relations specialist, producer, and radio host who has conducted thousands of interviews, I have experienced all kinds of conversations. Some are great and leave the audience wanting more, while others are uninteresting, significantly diminishing the guest's appearance. After years on air, I can tell within minutes if a conversation will be stimulating, with listeners staying tuned in, or not. Being prepared with a compelling message makes all the difference. In my training program, It's Your Time to Shine, tips to be a successful sought-after radio and podcast guest, I provide valuable information that will empower you to make the most of any media appearance. You work hard to get the booking, so don't waste the opportunity because of a lack of skills or preparation. To learn more, visit my website, joanherman.com slash mediatraining. That's joanherman.com media training.
3: Hello, doctor. Hi, business owner. Hey there, freelancer. The mark of a truly educated person is an open mind. These impactful words were shared by one of my mentors early in my education career. I have used this phrase and sought out examples of such persons over the last many years. Yesterday, I met another truly educated person while visiting a wellness center and meeting with the physician who owns it. She described her journey as a physician and business owner, mentioning the joys as well as the challenges of running a healthcare practice in America today. After reaching out to coaches and having soul-searching meetings with her staff, she came to a couple of conclusions. This is Vito Mazzi, your cash flow specialist with Kinnum.com. The doctor made several new decisions, but she felt that the biggest one was to focus on the strengths that she and her team possess. Their main strength... They offer fantastic wellness care to their patients as she was trained to do. Among areas in need of improvement, which she has decided to outsource, dealing with financials like insurance claims and accounts receivables, she actually had called me in to assist, and now I'm helping her. And yes, I can help you too. Visit kinem.com forward slash veto hyphen Maza or call 800 850 Fifty-one ten.
1: Do you believe that there can be a silver lining from tragedy and that blessings come in disguise? Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Your attitude determines how you view a situation and how you move through it. A tragedy is defined as an event causing great suffering, destruction, and distress. We understand the meaning of those words, however, I believe the important component is how we view the situation. What may be a tragedy to one person is nothing more than a bump in the road to another. And while we can agree that events such as death, divorce, or job loss create less than desirable circumstances, each can be viewed and handled differently from one person to the next. The key is that person's outlook. There are people who see the glass half-full in all situations, and others who see it as half-empty. We have a choice about how we view what occurs in our life, and that choice determines how we will transition through a tragic experience. So how can you get through a tragedy? Recognize that you have a choice in the situation. We often believe that we are a victim of circumstance and that this will be our lot in life. We think that we will never recover. The key to moving on is to know that you have the power to change the situation. No matter how devastating the circumstance, you have the power to get through it. You are not a victim, the choice is yours. Never suppress your feelings. Hurt, sadness, and grief are all normal emotions and they should be felt. The problem occurs when you allow yourself to stay stuck, when you assume the role of victim. Get help if you cannot do it by yourself. Read books and seek information that can help you get your head in the game. Reach out to friends and loved ones. Isolation can make the situation worse. And seek professional assistance if you're overwhelmed, depressed, or have suicidal thoughts. Remember, you're not alone and you have a choice. How we experience our life comes from how we view what we experience. As Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when we change the way we look at things, the things we look at change. Thanks for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. To Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Is cancer inevitable? That's a question many of us ask ourselves. While a cancer diagnosis is scary, according to today's guest, Dr. Ashani Waratna, there's growing evidence that fewer cancers will be a death sentence. Dr. Waratna joins us today to discuss the latest cancer research and what the future may hold. Dr. Waratna was appointed to the National Cancer Advisory Board by President Biden in 2021 and is recognized by the National Cancer Institute as a top five researcher. She is the Evie McCollin Chair of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology at the John Hopkins School of Public Health and is author of the book, Is Cancer Inevitable? Welcome, Dr. Waratna. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Doctor, just about everyone is familiar with the word cancer, but what is it that actually happens in the body that results in a cancer diagnosis?
4: So, when a a cell becomes a cancer cell, it's usually a normal cell that has gone awry. Um, There are genetic changes that happen within the cell that make it start to grow out of control, and you can, you know, it's often described in the cancer field as a car that starts to move, and you can move the car either by stepping on the gas or um, releasing the brake. And that's basically what happens in cancer cells. There are mechanisms that kick in that either cause the cancer cell to grow uncontrollably or stop it from dying when it should die. Is it true
1: that we all have cancerous cells every day, but that the immune system gets rid of it?
4: Um, That is basically true. We have cells that we call initiated cells, so cells that have undergone some damage to their DNA, to the genetic material inside them um, that exist, that have the propensity to become a tumor cell. Uh, Many of those are eradicated by our immune system, and many of those just sit there and don't really do anything uh, either.
1: So what is it then that triggers those cells to grow beyond what the immune system can handle?
4: So we've been really interested, um, in my lab in particular, in understanding the impact of age on those particular cells. There are other people who have looked at different, um, many, many different triggers to making a cancer cell become a cancer cell. You know, there's what we call the two-hit hypothesis, which is that if, a, if there's an, one of those initiated cells that has a mutation in their DNA, so, you know, a change in their genetic code. Um, But then it acquires another hit to that DNA, then that cell becomes a cancer cell. Something we've been looking at is the fact that, you know, we know that aging is intricately linked to cancer, right? 90% of the people who get cancer are over the age of 50. 90% of the people who die from cancer are over the age of 50. And so we asked, is there something that's changing in the environment around those tumor cells uh, that becomes... um, that drive those tumor cells to become cancerous. And so we've been looking at changes in the immune cells as well as changes in cells called fibroblasts that provide a lot of the structure for any organ in the body. And we have been fascinated to see that as we age, those normal cells also, age and they start to have very different conversations with the tumor cells than they used to when they were young. Does the risk increase as we get older? The risk for cancer, the incidence rate, and the risk for dying from cancer all increase as we age. Um, and also, sadly, our response to therapy is uh, much, much more muted as we age as well.
1: You know, what's interesting about this research, I remember people used to say that as if they made it to age 60 or 70 and beyond and they never had a cancer diagnosis, they almost felt like they were out of the woods, like I made it to this point and I'll be fine. And, and your
4: research is actually showing the opposite. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it is interesting because um, there is an age, so over the age of 85, in many, many cancers, we see the incidence rate start to drop, so it 's not entirely untrue that that's the case it's that it's that sort of uh, fifty to seventy five age range that is the dangerous age range, if you will, for cancer um, but i I actually agree with that, like if you've made it to eighty five or ninety uh, it's less likely now, whether that's actually less likely that you're going to get cancer or whether it's um, that you're going to die of something else because you're 85 or 90 uh, is unclear. So we, we don't really understand that dip off at that later age.
1: So it makes a lot of sense, this type of research, because people are living longer. So these types of things are showing up now.
4: That's right. And I often say, you know, we weren't meant to live this long, right? If you think about our Neanderthal ancestors uh, who lived in caves, they lived a full life and were done by the time they were 40. Um, And now, thanks to modern medicine, to antibiotics, you know, penicillin in particular, I think increased the survival rate of humans by a good 20 years. We are living way longer than we were supposed to live. So all of the mechanisms that are supposed to keep these cancer cells in check start to break down as we age and... Uh, You're absolutely right. Um, Because we live longer, we're more susceptible to these different diseases and uh, negative outcomes.
1: So you described some of the things that happen to us physically as we age. Are there things that we do in our life, you know, the type of life that we lead, that accelerate that?
4: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, um, the cancer that I work on in particular is melanoma, which is a very aggressive form of skin cancer and obviously now that I've said the word skin cancer you know that I'm going to say tanning, uh, tanning beds, going out, tanning at the beach, all of those are things that prematurely age your skin and we actually see that in our lab when we look at uh, the normal cells that are in your skin, when we look at the same signatures in older people compared to young people who've had tanning history uh, there's a lot of similarities there So tanning can prematurely age you as smoking prematurely ages your skin and your lungs and many, many other things in your body. So yes, you're absolutely right. There are lifestyle choices we can make that will prevent premature aging.
1: Which do you think is more important, heredity or epigenetics lifestyle? So for example, someone like me, if we have anyone listening who's like me, My brother died of leukemia. My sister and father both died of lung cancer. So looking at me genetically, I would be of a higher risk. But how much of a say do I actually have in determining whether or not I develop cancer?
4: So, you know, that's um, a really great question. So there are some cancers where the genetics override everything. But there are many cancers, like your family history, for example, where there are things you can do to protect yourself. You can not smoke. You can not can, Um, you can eat a healthy diet, you can exercise, all of those things are going to help lower your risk. Um, Even though you may have a higher risk than others, making good lifestyle choices can definitely lower your 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 risk and if you were to develop cancer, help you deal uh, more effectively with the therapies that you're going to receive or um, just the side effects of the cancer itself. So I think, you know, we always advocate a healthy lifestyle, whether or not, I guess it's the title of the book, right, is cancer inevitable, (laughs) whether or not the cancer is inevitable nonetheless, I think, um, is still in question.
1: I've actually seen something, I think it was like a one in two chance of getting cancer over the age of 50. First, is that correct? Is that an accurate statistic? Yes.
4: It's very good. Okay, so
1: if you're looking at a 50% chance then, what does this mean for us? You know, what is the science saying about the future of cancer? Is it promising for healing? Do you think we'll ever eradicate it?
4: So, you know, in a way, it's kind of why I wrote this book. It was during a time in the pandemic where everything felt really dark and depressing. But I wanted to sort of write this book a little bit as a sign of hope because, you know, I have a lot of friends and a lot of family who are not scientists And they will ask me, well, why haven't you cured cancer yet? You spent all all your time working. We never see you, but yet you haven't cured cancer, right? And I tell them, you know, it's amazing, though, how far we've come. So while cancer itself might be inevitable, dying from cancer, I think, is no longer inevitable. And, you know, I've spent almost 30 years researching cancer at this point, and I'm amazed at how far we've come because we have, you know, we would see, Melanoma patients coming in the door with a stage 4 diagnosis 10 years ago, that was a complete death sentence, right? And today, um, 25 to 30% of those patients are actually surviving 10 years or longer, like basically being cured of their disease. And that is just an absolute um, a revelation in cancer research. It's the same for breast cancer. It's the same for many, many other cancers where now... We have medications and therapies that are allowing patients to live completely healthy lives, um, even though they've had cancer.
1: Because of the pandemic, we were all learning a lot about viruses and about variants and how things change. When cancer develops, is it, now, and I know which person's body is different, but the the mutation of the cells, is that pretty standard or does
4: that vary as time goes on? So, It varies not only from cancer to cancer, but even within cancer types. So cancers that we see developing in older people have a very different mutational spectrum than cancers that we see developing in younger people. Cancers that we see in melanoma look completely different than uh, cancer cells in pancreatic tumors. So it is very, very different, and that's why it's so hard to come up with a a one-size-fits-all cure, even within a cancer type. Uh, there are so many different subtypes of cancer.
1: So, Doctor, not only are you a pioneering researcher, but you've also had your own experience with cancer. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you learned from that on a personal level?
4: Absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it's a little, st- I I always like to emphasize the fact that my lesion was very, very pre-malignant. It was not, I would not call it cancer, but it was startling because, you know, I work on melanoma and a form of melanoma called acro-lentitious melanoma is, affects people of color. And just because of what I do, I know what that looks like. And so I was getting a pedicure and I looked down at my feet and it looked literally like someone had drawn a line straight down my nail with a sharpie. And I was like, whoa, I know what that looks like. That looks like an ALM. Luckily for me, it wasn't yet an ALM. It was very, again, very pre malignant. But I went straight to the dermatologist, had them remove my whole toenail um, because I didn't want it to ha- even have a slight chance of developing into a melanoma. Um, and so I was lucky, right? Because I knew what to look for. And so I actually went on Facebook and I posted about that experience. And I gave, I, you know, I had a picture of um, what the lesion looked like. And a friend of mine saw that. And she said, well, wait a minute, I saw that on my husband's toenail. I thought it was a fungus. And so I took him to the dermatologist. Like, she sent me a message telling me all this. She's like, I took him to the dermatologist, and it was actually a stage 1 melanoma. And they removed it, and he has a great prognosis because they caught it early enough. So, you know, I was really glad that I shared that story because um, it allowed her to look and see her husband who had a much more advanced stage than I did.
1: Is that how melanoma usually presents in nail beds?
4: No, that's actually a very rare form of melanoma. Um, It tends to affect everybody, but really it is the most predominant form of melanoma in people of color. It's actually what Bob Marley died of. Mm
5: -hmm. Um,
4: He had that on his toenail and it spread eventually to his brain. Um, But in general, melanoma presents as a lesion on your skin uh, that's called cutaneous melanoma. It looks like a little mole. And we use a system to diagnose melanomas called the ABCDEs of melanoma. So A stands for asymmetry. If the borders of a mole are, um, I mean, if the mole is different in any way, like if it's bigger on one side than the other, if the color is different in one side than the other, so on. B stands for borders. If the mole has very smooth borders, it's probably unlikely to be a melanoma, um, but if the borders are ragged or scalloped, it's probably more likely to be a melanoma. If the color, which is the C, is, is different, um, or dark or red, um, you know, you should get the mole checked out. If the diameter is really large, you should get the mole checked out. And most importantly, is the E, which is evolving. If the mole is changing at all, or like it used to be itchy, but it's not, it wasn't itchy before, but now it's itchy, or it was black and now it's red. Um, or the borders are starting to look more scalloped, you should definitely go get that checked because really early diagnosis is key to a good outcome.
1: So doctor, it is now pool and beach season. What do you want us to know in addition to what you've already told us about skin cancer? What else do you want us to know?
4: Um, I would love for people to you know, seek shade, wear UV shirts, white brimmed hats, Um, reapply their sunblock. I often have people saying to me, um, I don't want to see you this summer because I look really tan, but I promise I've been wearing my sunblock. (laughs) And I say, well, you've got to reapply. (laughs) Yeah, most of my friends avoid me all summer. It's very lonely in the summer. (laughs) I would be avoiding you too. (laughs) Um, And so, um, you know, so wear your sunblock. Try to stay out of the sun at the height of the day. Um, and seek shade. You know, it really is something you can do to prevent uh, melanoma and skin cancer because it's one of the few cancers whose incidence rates are rising.
1: People like your friends and like me who have done a lot of damage over the years, is it too late to reverse what we've already done to ourselves?
4: Um, Is it too late to reverse it?
1: Yeah, the damage.
4: But it's not... Yeah, it's may- maybe um you probably have initiated cancer cells, you know, in your skin. We all do. Um and the but the truth is that by taking, you know, care of your health, eating right, exercising, um, you know, cutting down on sugar, um, all of those are lifestyle changes that can really help uh, overcome some of the effects of you know, uh, cancer. And again, not everybody, even if you have initiated tumor cells in your skin, not everyone is going to progress to cancer.
1: So it's just like with any other type of cancer, healthy lifestyle, um, following preventative measures, even if we've done the damage, we can hopefully stop progression.
4: That's correct. Um, But making, making good lifestyle choices, we're realizing more and more how important that is. Um, how obesity affects cancer, how smoking and tanning we already knew about. Um, But just, you know, cutting down sugar, there's some great research being done on alcohol as well. So none of this is pleasant news. (laughs) But, um, you know, they, they, they really do have an impact on tumor cells.
1: But, you know, it's interesting because every doctor that I interview for this show, it, it, no matter what the health topic is, it all boils down to the same type of advice. It's the things that we do right. have a lot of control over stress and diet and sleep and exercise. It's really just, you know, keeping ourselves as healthy as possible, keeping our immune system in top fighting form. And and no matter what the health condition is. And, and I always like to, to leave people with hope because we do have power over all of
4: this. That's right. I mean, in a way that's why I wrote this book. Um, to say you know we have power over some of this for sure and for that for the unlucky ones of us where um, the cancer does take hold uh, there's still hope because we have so many great therapies today.
1: And I think that's such a, a, an important message to leave everyone with because as I said cancer you know hearing those words you have cancer that's probably one of the biggest fears we have in life and your book and and your research it offers hope to all of us that if we do hear those words it doesn't mean that we're going to have a death sentence that there is a lot of hope that's right that's exactly right doctor thank you so much for joining
4: us of course thank you so much
1: this is conversations with joan stay with us we'll be right back
6: How do I part with things? This is a question I hear almost daily. Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPO, CD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized, an award-winning professional organizing company serving clients who live with chronic disorganization. Many people living with CD have very deep emotions and find it difficult to let go of what I call heartstrings items. I say, let's work with your emotions rather than fight them. First of all, maybe you don't have to part with those items at all. If you love something and it makes you feel good Keep it. However, if you're drowning in possessions and can't live that way anymore, there are steps you can take. One, decide to decide. Tell yourself you're going to make a decision, set criteria for deciding, then trust yourself that you're doing the right thing. Two, have a ritual. Hold it, thank it, bless it, bury it, burn it, kiss it, or take it to its new home, knowing that it will make someone else very happy. Three, keep a small part of a larger whole, like just a few favorites or a representative sample of items from a a big collection, and then pass the rest on. Whatever action you take, doing something to honor yourself and your feelings can help to remove the emotional tie to a material possession. I'm Gail Gruenberg with Let's Get Organized. Working closely with you on-site or virtually, we help you clear the clutter in your home or office and show you how getting organized will change your life. Call us at 201-613-2733 or visit lgorganized.com.
5: We live in a world where everybody wants to get it right. We're trying to get our jobs right, our lives right, relationships. As parents, we try to raise good kids and make sure that they can have a life that's right. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson. Quality for life coaching is my practice, and I see so many clients talk about this. The most important thing that you can contribute to anyone, whether it's a sibling or a parent or a child or at work, colleague, self-esteem. People need self-esteem, and that comes from the inside out. So they need to feel good about themselves for them to ever reach their potential and have a great life. So I would offer this as a takeaway for parents, and then you can apply it to any relationship, which is unconditionally appreciate someone. And that is how they get self-esteem from the inside out. You notice someone for doing nothing just because they're there. So if you walk by someone and say, I'm just glad you're there. I'm just glad you're my son. I'm just glad. That I'm visiting you mom and dad I love being here with you If you notice people just because You walk by them and say I love your energy in this house With me They feel they've been witnessed And appreciated for just existing And that is something that's a gift That you can give and change someone else's life I'm Lindsay Levinson Qualityforlifecoaching.com Look me up
1: Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, CYACYL.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital articles, check out our team and book club, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow us on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in.